live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios. This is the Press Box with Grady and Bischoff. Curling, cross-country skiing. Now we're getting to the real events. To heck with hockey. To heck with, to heck with hockey. snowboarding. To heck with skiing. Now we've got, uh, well, cross-country, but to heck with a slalom. Uh, now we've got real events. Curling, the men. They just lost in the they semis to Great Britain. We were watching so that, lost the semis. They're, they're going for the bronze. Uh, By the way, yesterday, bronze. phenomenal day of sports. Incredible day of sports. The NBA was great last night. Obviously, Jack Eichel and the Golden Knights is what we're about to get into. UNLV won a game. There was a gold medal for women's hockey. Yesterday was a phenomenal day of sports yeah. for a random Thursday in February. And now Wednesday. we're going to... Now we're gonna have like a brutal three days in a row here with like nothing. We get like a few NBA games tonight, and then it's the All Star break. You're a day ahead. What? Yesterday was Wednesday. Oh yeah, whatever. Same difference. Well, it's not the same. Today's thing. not Friday. Today's Thursday. Oh boy. I mean, we hope we wish it was Friday. <laughs> believe me. Uh, all right, might as well start with hockey. The first bite was Jack Eichel <laughs> underwhelming. Yes, it was rusty, man. He the first time. The first time I think he touched the puck, I think he might have turned it over, and I was just in the press box saying, okay, this guy's a bum. What happened to this guy? Who's this guy? Where's Alex Tuck when you need him with all those points he's getting from Buffalo? 19 points for Alex oh, Tuck man. this year. So Jack Eichel's night took two penalties, was on the ice for the Avalanche, only five-on-five five goal. He had three shot attempts on the entire night. Only one was actually on goal, and he was below 50% in Corsi and expected goals. Uh, obviously his first game of the season, his first game for the Golden Knights coming back from a neck surgery. We talked yesterday about expectations and or this week we've talked about expectations and how it's really more about the entire season and the postseason run for Jack Eichel no, expectations, sure. not necessarily this first week of games, but man, that was underwhelming. I mean, it there was. was a lot of hype and build up for that. Yeah. And Jack Eichel was Jack Eichel a, day, a non-factor. Yesterday? Jack Eichel day. I mean, he's oh, a, yeah, absolutely. He's or, a or a negative factor yeah. for the Golden Knights. If anything, I mean, he takes two penalties in a game, right? So massively underwhelming. Now we'll see where he goes from here. We'll see how long it takes him to get back into being Jack Eichel, or at least, you know, 80%, 90% of Jack Eichel. Cause that's, that's going to be one of the main questions. That's going to be one of the key details for the Golden Knights is how good is Jack Eichel? Does he, does he get back to where Jack Eichel was before the neck injury? Yeah. Right? Because that, I mean, that's a legitimate question. He might never be that yeah, good may, again. No, but, that, was a, that was a surgery no hockey player right. ever had. But he should be, at some point, at least 80, 90, 95% yeah. of what he was. Which is pretty good. And how long does it take him to at least get to that level? Because he definitely wasn't that last night. And it's pretty disappointing, pretty underwhelming given the excitement for Jack Eichel day and it was Jack Eichel day didn't play very well. Um, the big picture for the golden Knights. I don't know how much we should take away from game in February <laughs> against the best team against the best team, but they, they played a good team, a team that if they're going to win the Stanley cup, they might have to beat in the postseason. Right. They beat them last year in the postseason. In six. Yep. Uh, but they didn't score. Uh, despite having the edge and expected goals, they had the same exact amount of scoring chances, 31. They had 10 high danger chances. The power play didn't do anything. They had multiple breakaways or odd man rushes that didn't, I mean, sometimes didn't even turn into shots actually on net. I, I couldn't help but think, wow, this is what the Golden Knights in the postseason look like. Back-to-back shutouts for the first time, I think, yeah. in in, uh, in team history. Yeah. Calgary and now Colorado. And those are... 
Those are playoff Con- teams. Conceivably, yeah, that is the second round in the yeah. Western Conference final matchup yeah. for the Golden Knights. It's hockey. The Avalanche will probably get upset by some team that's under 500 in the first round because whatever. But presumably Calgary and Colorado are on the path to the Stanley Cup final, and they've now been shut out twice by them. And again, it's the middle of February, but we've seen the Golden Knights lose playoff series because they stack games like that together. Because they can't score. Where they they play relatively well, right? Like last now they're out and play them off the ice, right? No, absolutely not. Like Jack Eichel wasn't great, but the, the Golden Knights were fine. Like the Golden Knights were in that game. They were competitive in that game. Might have been they had higher expected goals for the entirety of the game, but they couldn't score. And that that was, to me, the big thing that I watched that and thought, huh, yeah, we've seen this in the postseason like three years in a row now. This is how they lose postseason series against good teams. And I don't know. Uh, it's probably too much to put into one random game in February, but. Oh, it's definitely too much, but this is what we do on the show. It I mean, is. It's definitely too much to put Jack in Jack Eichel's a bum, game. and they're getting swept yes. in the postseason because they can't score. That, the, those are the, that's that's the what we quick learned. takeaways on a Thursday. <laughs> Let me ask you this about Pete DeBoer's decisions. Uh, His lines yesterday, and granted, we saw them the day before at practice, but he broke up the Golden Knights' misfit line, Marcheseau, Carlson, and Smith. Instead, Matthias Janmark took Jonathan Marcheseau's spot, on that second line left wing, and Marcheseau got dumped down to the third line with Chandler Stevenson and Nick Waugh. Janmark, Carlson, and Smith played six minutes and 16 seconds together. The Golden Knights did not attempt a, a shot, shot in those six minutes and 16 seconds. They allowed 16. They also allowed 10 scoring chances. The Colorado Avalanche only had 25 scoring chances at five on five in that game. So 10 of the 25 five on five scoring chances for the Avalanche came in the six minutes and 16 seconds that Janmark Carlson and Smith were on the ice. Now, the majority of that six minutes was against Nathan McKinnon and the Avalanche's best line, right? That was Pete DeBoer's sort of matchup that he chose. So it's not like you were expecting that line for the Golden Knights to go out and dominate. But they got dominated to the point that Pete DeBoer in the third period changed. He went, he he went back, back on that line. Yep. And as soon as he did that, they played just over four minutes together. Best Corsi of any line for yep. the Golden Knights last night. Ten shots for the Golden Knights, one against with Marceau, Carlson, and Smith on the ice. Like, we've talked a lot about what the line combination should be. Obviously, Mark Stone being out makes it a slightly different conversation. But did you, after last night, should we be? Should Pete DeBoer just be that line stays together no matter what? Yeah, that there's no reason why. to break that up. We talked about it yesterday, and we're trying to figure out why they broke it up. But just switch Jan Mark down and do with the go with the misfits and don't don't break them up. The okay, so the the problem. Well, we'll see what they're how healthy they are, but the potential problem for the Golden Knights by if they keep the misfit line together. And if they actually get healthy and play Pacioretty, Eichel, and Stone together, that's the that's the best two lines they can make. Their top six is phenomenal. But the third line is now Janmark, Stevenson, and Wah, which might be good, right? Like those that's a collection of three guys that are none of those guys are bad. Right. But the issue is, is there's no like star player to carry them if needed, right? Chandler Stevenson, well, sure, he produced some points when he was away from Stone and Patch Reddy earlier this year. Chandler Stevenson's not carrying a line by himself, right? Neither is Nick Wall, neither is Matthias Janmark. For those guys to be at their best, 
they need to play with William Carlson. They need to play with a Jack Eichel. They need to play with a Mark Stone. So I'm fascinated if the Golden Knights, like what's going to be more important for the Golden Knights to put together the two best lines possible or to have a third line that's competent. And that would mean breaking up the talent on the first or the second line, which he tried to do it yesterday on the second line. Didn't work out very well in that game. So would you try to do it on the first? I line? would start the top six as top six, like you said, and hope Stevenson could carry them enough, enough, not completely, but I would start the top six. A lot of it will depend because again, for the Golden Knights, postseason matchups is what's going to be important here. Right. A lot of it's going to depend on how good their opponent's third line is. Right. If you're playing a team whose third line is really good, right, that has three good lines then you might need to drop somebody down to that third line. You might need to play Jack Eichel on quote unquote, the third line so that you have some more balance. If you play a team that has a terrible third line, then, then you, you can go with the top six. You can probably throw Stevenson, Jan Martin right. out there against their third line and, and you'll probably and win it. You'll probably have an advantage when they're out there, but that's, I think that might be the biggest keys. Who do they play in the playoffs and how good is their third line? Because ultimately, well, where would Dodonna fit? Because of Stone. Oh, comes I forgot back. about him. Good. Completely forgot about because him. He'd be, yeah. he'd be on the third so line. He'd be on the third line. Nick Wall gets moved down to the right. fourth line. Yeah. So I well, completely forgot about him. Kenny <laughs> so all of a sudden the third line just became a lot better. <laughs> it, it, it is better. It is. Yes. So that's going to be, I think, the question. And so the way that I've sort of viewed it, if they ever get fully healthy, is sort of instead of viewing guys in, you know, uh, a th- in pairs of three, view them in pairs of two, right? So keep Stone and Pacioretty together, keep Carlson and Marcheseau together, and put Eichel and Dodonov together, right? And then move them through the three lines and then figure out which wingers or which centers fit somewhere else along the way. That, to me, is sort of how I view the best way to go about it if you need depth. If you just need top end, if you just need your top six to be good, just load them up and go. Eichel, Pacioretty, Stone, and the misses. Yeah. And the other good thing about breaking up the lines is that if you get into the third period, like they were last night, if you get in the third period and you're losing, there's nothing stopping you from changing your no, lines, right? You can adjust on the fly. Yeah. If, if spreading it out works for the first three games of a series and then game four, you're getting crushed, right? You can change in the middle of the game. There's nothing stopping that. So that's the other part of this is you can court, you can demote Jack Eichel to the third line, play him with Evgeny Dodonov and Chan, or um, Matias Janmark, right? And then in the third period, if you need to, you can play him with Patch Ready and right. Stone. You can do, you can change things around. So I'm curious to see, and that's probably the most important thing DeBoer's got to do the rest of the regular season is figure, figure it out what works here. And that's a little harder because Stone's not in. But that's probably as far as like the most important thing for the team the rest of the season is that Robin Leonard is healthy for the postseason. Yeah. The most important thing for the actual coaching staff is figuring out how they want to fi- get these lines together because there are a lot of options you can go to. I mean, you can break up the misfit line. I'm sure there's a combination that works with those guys broken up, but they've got to figure out what that is. Cause it wasn't, it wasn't Jan Mark Carlson and Smith last night. That was not the combination that was going to work for the golden Knights. I thought Laurent Brassois played well. Were we too mean to Laurent Brassois well. earlier this week? We we're pretty mean. When we I said you're not winning guy, anything with him. That we can't win anything. I thought he I played mean, pretty well. His last two games, he shut out Edmonton. Yeah. And he allowed, Two and last night. Two on 25 shots. Uh, Colorado's expected One in a like, power play. Yeah. Colorado's expected goals is about 2.5, so slightly better than, than expected, slightly better than average. 
Um, let me ask you this. Fleury has had an up and down season <laughs> in Chicago. He's 37. Who do you think gives you a better chance to win the Stanley Cup if you had to choose between trading for Fleury or Laurent Brossois because Robin Leonard? Even though I don't think they're trading for him. Right, exactly. I would pick Fleury. Okay. I would too still. I would. Experience? Um, yeah. I mean, he's he's been there. He's got three cups. I know he wasn't the starter in all of them, but the pressure that would be on Brossois to win series and try to make a run at the Stanley Cup, I wouldn't. I don't think I'd want that. How many good games in a row does Brossois have to have for you to change your mind? Yeah, he's playing the Kings coming up um, and the Sharks with Shane <laughs> Pang. So I'd, I'd have to see a lot more. He's had two straight really good games, yes. but I'd have to see a lot more. All right. To say that, uh, you know, mean over Flurry? Yeah, yeah. Then a I'm lot saying, more. Then I'm saying, like, how basically. A lot more. If you're the Golden Knights, how much do you have to see of Brossois playing well to, to be say like, they don't need to trade for We can goal. trust this guy if Leonard's out. I think, I don't know what you think. I think it's a lot more. It is. I think it's more than two games. It's yes. going to be. Three weeks straight yeah. or something. If he like plays that. like that for a month, right? Then you're like, okay, this guy can do it, but not this right now, work. for sure. All right, coming up next, UNLV got a big upset win over Fresno State last night. You're sitting in the press box with Grainy and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Follow them on Twitter at Ed Grainy and Bischoff underscore Tyler. UNLV picked up a win over Fresno State last night. An upset on the road. They beat the Bulldogs 60 to 57. Here's a question for you, Ed. Bryce Hamilton had his first bad game in like two months. This guy's been unbelievable. He scored 17 points, but he was only six of 20 shooting. Did not perform very well on the offensive end. But UNLV still won the game. The rest of the team scored 43 on 15 of 32 shooting. Are you encouraged that UNLV won that game despite Bryce Hamilton playing poorly for the first time in like two months? Yeah, I'm encouraged. Uh, we've talked about this before. It's a weird, weird league. We saw Wyoming lose at uh, New Mexico. So nothing surprises me in this league on a given night. Um, he did it, He did shoot poorly, but he had the biggest shot of the game on the step back three that gave him the lead for the good. Uh, that was, that which, was a heck of a shot. Which, by the way, gave him the lead for good. With two minutes left yeah, in the game, exactly. Fresno State didn't. Well, they scored once scored late, scored once, but like Fresno State didn't score like four straight right. possessions after that. Um, so I'm yeah, I'm encouraged. I think you know they've they, they've shown they're not consistent. They're not very consistent, but when they do show up and other guys can help Bryce. I mean, they they beat Colorado State. They win this game on the road. I think they were laying. I think Fresno was laying six. Um, so yeah, I. I I again, I talked to someone last night about the conference tournament, and they said, "What do you think?" I said, "Well, if they make a run and get to the final, I won't be shocked. And if they lose in the first round, yeah. I mean, who knows I, with this team? They are they're pretty all over the place, right? Like if you just I've, we've talked about the defense being all over the place. Um, their last, let's see, if we go through their last five or six games here, uh, they gave up one one oh nine points per possession to Colorado State, then point eight eight. Then 1.45 to Utah State, then 0.76 to Air Force, then 1.1 to Boise State. Boise State. And what did you do last night? Then last night, 0.92. Yeah. Right? So in college basketball, one is generally average, right? I think teams are a little bit more efficient than that this year. But one is, if you're over one, that's a good offensive night. If you're under one, that's a bad offensive night. And UNLV's defense just. And it really doesn't matter which team they play, right? Sometimes they're really good yeah. against a good offensive Colorado team. State. Sometimes they're bad against a bad offensive team, right? So the defense is is all over the place. But when they get good defensive efforts, and that's why they won last night, 
right? It's the offense for UNLV was fine, right? They scored exactly one point per possession last night. The offense was fine, but the defense is why they won that game, which is what we saw very early in the season, right? Those first three games of the year, they were good defensively, yep. not good offensively and won. And now it's like every other game almost. That's what we see from this team. And it's hard to figure out because they've, again, they've done it. It almost seems like it doesn't matter what opponent. Like, I'll give you this. Against Air Force this year, when they lost to Air Force, they gave up 1.09 points per possession. It's one of Air Force's, like, three best games on the entire year. When they beat Air Force, it was 0.76. Like, that's the same opponent having one of their best and one of their worst offensive games against UNLV, I can't figure out what makes them good on the nights that they're good defensively. I can't figure it out. Last night, Orlando Robinson, who's Fresno State's best player, who's probably all Mountain West first team player this year. Yes. um, he, He fouled out. He played 29 minutes, I think it was. He only scored seven points. They did very... They they were really physical with Orlando. Robinson. Probably did as well good a job on him as right. anyone has. They were UNLV was really physical with him, and the refs sort of let, let them get away with it to an extent. Right? It's not like it was a bunch of egregious fouls, but it was stuff that refs could have called, could have let go, and for the most part, they let a lot of it go, and that helped UNLV a lot last night. And it got Orlando Robinson frustrated. He committed quite a few fouls. He fouled out. He had um, one his fourth foul. I think the refs missed entirely. Royce Ham initiated contact, and then they called it on Orlando Robinson. But, like, UNLV did a good job frustrating him, getting really physical with him, and the refs sort of, you know, let it happen. And that's a big reason why they won that game. So this is a – it's a fascinating team because I'm with you. If you told me right now they won three games in three days in the Mountain West Tournament – I Well, I'm not going to say shocked, but I guess I wouldn't be overly surprised I, given – this league. It would be the only I mean, it'd be surprising. The only surprising part about it was that they put three of them that they in could a row. string together three right. really good team games. We've seen them play yes. three like in all seriousness, they could play like Nevada, Fresno State, and Colorado State, right? Three go that could be three games they play in the Mountain West tournament. We've seen them beat all three of those yeah. teams. They've played well against those three teams this year, but they've been spread out because they've also had in there a blowout to Utah State, a loss by six to Boise State, right? Like so putting three in a row together would be the surprising part, but they could do it, I guess. Like they've certainly proven they can do it. Top five get top five get buys. Top five seeds get buys with the win last night. UNLV jumped into fifth. They are they are ahead so of an Utah automatic State. Four or five. Yeah, they'd be in the four or five. Okay, matchup. so right now today they play San Diego State. Uh, is that the yeah yeah, yeah that's, that's the matchup? Day. They'd play San Diego State, and then the winner would get no, the Boise one. State Wyoming. Yeah, they get the one one two right now. So I. <laughs> They could be San Diego State. Yeah, they absolutely could. I mean, they yeah. played them twice. San Diego State's won both of them. But oh, they could be San Diego San State. San Diego State. The, the other part of this in the Mountain West is that San Diego State, um, Wyoming, and Boise State. Uh, those three teams, or excuse me, San Diego State, Boise State, those two teams are really good defensively, mm-hmm. but they kind of suck on yeah. offense. And so as long as they don't get hot and knock down a bunch of threes, you're probably going to be in the game yes. against those teams. And if you just play relatively well down the stretch, you got a really shot. good chance to beat yeah. some of these teams. Wyoming and Colorado State are both excellent offensively. So those teams, they could absolutely blow you out a little bit easier than Boise State and San Diego San Diego State could. So it's a, it's a bizarre team, but they are into fifth. The one issue for UNLV, they're into fifth. They are a half game ahead of Fresno State. They are, what is that, a game and a half ahead of Utah State. 
UNLV schedule's pretty tough to close here. Still have to play Colorado State. Colorado State, they go to Nevada, which they are. Ken Palm has UNLV favored by one point right yeah. now. So that's as much of a toss-up as you can have. They uh, host Boise State, host Wyoming, and then they go to New Mexico. So basically, they have two road games against the bad teams on their schedule and, two, and, three, and three home, home games, games against, against the, really the three good best teams. Not three the best teams. It, they could conceivably go 0-5. It wouldn't be crazy to go 0-5 in that stretch. They won't, but no. 1-4, 2-3 certainly possible, which would let Fresno State and Utah State most likely catch up and pass them to finish out the year. One other thing on UNLV, they're a good three-point shooting team. All of a sudden. They they hit 9-25 last yeah. night, which is 36%, which isn't like a crazy number. They're number two in the conference in just just conference play. They're number two in the Mountain West in three-point shooting, which, I mean, listen, this team in the non-conference play, they could not hit threes. Right. Like that, it was like, wow, this team is going to shoot 29% all year from three-point range. It was like, oh, this team could break the streak, right? They couldn't hit threes. They're great. They're phenomenal. That's one of the reasons why they won. That's the one offensive thing I would say last night why they won the game is because they were able to knock down threes. They were able to hit threes, enough threes to sort of, catch up and then stay ahead of Fresno State. In that well, they're game. down 13, then they had a 16-0 run. Oh, 16-0 run. This is my favorite stat. The first 20 possessions of the game for UNLV, they scored 12 points. They looked terrible. I thought they were about to lose by 25 points. They could, because Bryce Hamilton, he wasn't playing well. And I was like, oh, good God, if Bryce Hamilton isn't scoring, nobody else right. on this team is scoring. First 20 possessions, 12 points. The following six possessions, they scored on every single one for a total threes? of 16. They scored 16 more than two points yeah. per possession on a six-possession stretch, and all of a sudden they were winning the game. Yeah, That is one of the most remarkable quick turnarounds, and I think it was three threes and a three-point play, if I'm doing the math right there, that was mixed in there. Like That's one of the most remarkable quick turnarounds you'll see in college basketball. I was at the Golden Knights game, obviously. We were trying to watch it on Adam's phone. <laughs> That, that can be difficult. <laughs> so I kind of went back to watching Jack Eichel, and that's when I refreshed, and they'd taken the lead. I'm like, what the hell right. happened? It, ha- what it happened? came out of nowhere. Yeah. Like, I, I literally thought they're not going to get to 50 points in this game because they, tw- they had 12 points with, like, seven minutes to go in the first half. I was like, they, are they going to get to 50? It's they, like a San Diego State game. Right. I was like, they might not break 50, and then probably the six best offensive possessions of the season for UNLV where they score six, 16 points on six possessions is insanity. That is a that is one of the the quickest runs that you will see. A 16-0 run is fairly remarkable in itself, but on yeah. six possessions is unbelievable. All right, coming up next, Mike Gramala joins the show. He's never seen a steak that is too gray. He once ate half a box of Cheez-Its for lunch and finished off the other half for dinner. He has eaten exactly one taco in his life. He is Mike Grillmala. Have tacos changed that much since I tried one? Joining us now, Mike Grimala, live from Fresno. Uh, Mike, do, can you help us out with figuring out how UNLV's defense is about half the time good and about half the time bad? I cannot. I am just as in the dark as you guys are concerning, you know, on some nights uh, from night to night or even possession to possession or half to half, you really don't, you really aren't sure what you're going to see, right? 
Um, maybe chalk that up to, you know, last last night was really the first time that I thought all season that you had Royce Ham, Victory Walker, or David Walker. They're three big, um, all sort of clicking and playing together um, and all playing well and making impact plays at the same time. Um, and that's the way they, they put the, game, the team together before the season, the vision. But due to injuries and just sort of um, getting everyone up to speed, I don't think you really saw it come to fruition until last night when all three of those guys were really, really good. Um, so maybe that's, that's what it is, just getting chemistry, perfecting the, the play style, perfecting the rotation. Um, but does that mean they're going to do it again uh, against Colorado State on Saturday? I have no idea. Have you ever seen a 16-0 run like that? But that one really came out of nowhere. It it really came out of nowhere. They they looked like they were about to get blown out uh, in Fresno. And then I think Royce Ham hit a couple three-pointers. Um, he hit some timely threes last night. Like His three-point shooting has also come out of nowhere this season. They felt like 10-pointers last night, the way that they um, really saved UNLV from that hole. But no, I didn't see that coming. Uh, but pretty impressive for them to come out on the road like that and uh, fall behind, but then really close out the half strong and take control of the game. Is that your official momentum counter that Royce Ham's threes were felt like 10 pointers? They did. Did they not? Are you disagreeing? <laughs> uh, some of them. Yeah. But you know, you only got three, but they had to hit like three more threes for them to actually be 10 pointers. Yeah. But that's how they felt in, in the first <laughs> half when they were down by 15 points. And then he also had a big one in the second half when they were, they really couldn't, they weren't getting buckets in the, in the second half trying to close out that game. Uh, and then Roy Sam had he chipped in a three pointer, and it you know it felt like an eleven pointer at that at that time. <laughs> eleven points. We I need your official uh, rankings here on every three they make. How many do they feel? Are there three pointers that feel like one pointers? That Bryce Hamilton three with two minutes left felt like a one pointer um, because that's the way they had to defend to close out the game. They put him up by three, but really it felt like they put him up by you know a half a point. <laughs> And then you needed four straight stops on the defensive end to close it out. So the scale goes from a half a point to 11 points. I was going to say it probably felt like a half a point because you're like, oh, well, there's no chance Fresno State won't score in the last two minutes. I, it, you couldn't have convinced me that it would happen. Um, but like I said, they got those three big guys. You know, Ham was uh, playing really well on, or on Orlando Robinson. You had Victory Walker came up with a huge block. David Mwaka blocked a couple of shots in the second half. They, those three guys really came through and kind of carried the day on defense. Uh, poor timing for this question and, and probably your story on Bryce Hamilton potentially being player of the year in the Mountain West, given that he had his first bad game in like two months last night. Uh, but is he going to miss out on Mountain West player of the year simply because UNLV doesn't uh, win or at least contend for the regular season title? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's that's probably going to happen. I mean, this league has a, um, I'm not sure how it is around the country, but I know that the mountains in particular is usually the votes sort of go to the best player on the best team. And so it's going to be, you know, Malachi Flynn, or it's going to be Matt Mitchell type players who are, you know, not the best players in the league, but they play on, you know, San Diego state teams that were running away with the regular season title. So I think that's sort of how, this league has gone in the past. That's how the coaches are, are probably going to vote it. So you look at Wyoming, which is, you know, the biggest story, the biggest overachievers, um, Colorado State, Boise State, someone from, 
you know, one of those three teams probably is going to end up with more votes than Bryce Hamilton. Although I do think Bryce Hamilton is very deserving. I have not seen a better player this year in the Mountain West. Yeah, and that stuff's so subjective. I think you'll you'll agree with that in terms of who votes for what. I mean, do you have a problem with the fact that whether it's Maldonado or Ike, if they win the league outright, and they I don't remember where they were picked, but that guy's actually done a really good job in the last two years. Um, that they would just you know they would say you know what the the goal is to win the league. They followed the goal. They made the goal. So give it to the best player. I would never begrudge anyone their own voting voting criteria. Uh, Lord knows I'm uh, I have enough quirks myself when it comes to voting, and it just comes down <laughs> to preference. And, you know, vote for who you want for Mountain West Player of the Year. Vote your conscience. That's that's what I would say. Vote. Your Graham conscience. is definitely good. Ike, Ike is definitely having a great season. So oh, listen, vote your conscience. Listen to you. Vote your conscience. Conscience. Um, are you surprised <laughs> at how good this team has become at shooting threes? <laughs> Uh, it's a good question. I'm, I am surprised when they go in, like some of the shots that they that they're making. That because it no, it just seems like Jordan because these guys they all came into all these transfers came and the the first thing that I think we all looked at in the off season when they signed these guys was like these guys weren't just bad shooters. These guys shot twenty percent from like Jordan McKay was a twenty four percent three point shooter over three years, which is a, a pretty good sample size. Donovan Williams was like nineteen percent from three. Like these guys could not shoot, and now they're just they're knocking them down every night. So I am still kind of fighting like that internal urge. Like every time they put it up, I'm like, oh no, that's not a good shot. And then it switches through from twenty five feet from Jordan McCabe, and I I got to remind myself, oh wait, no, he is shooting around forty percent. Same thing with Donovan Williams. He shoots these pull-ups. I'm like, oh, that's not a good shot. But they're going in enough that, hey, just they keep surprising me. But like you said, they are one of the better three-point shooting teams in the league. It's working for them. Bryce Hamilton has improved a ton on his three-point shot. So, um, yeah, I am surprised pretty much every time they go in. That's why they feel like 10 points, huh? <laughs> that, that might have something to do with it. <laughs> you uh... – you said, and everyone says about the defense defensively, you don't know what they're going to do on a given night. But if for whatever reason they did put it together, you, you surprised it off. They make a run here in the conference tournament. They'd have to win three and three. Uh, but would you be falling off the chair because you see Wyoming go in and lose to New Mexico? I mean, this is a weird league on a on on all nights. I would be pretty stunned if they were able to do it, just because they've been so inconsistent from night to night. The highs are really high. They went into Boise State, and they dismantled Boise State. And that's an NCAA tournament team. That's probably going to be a single-digit seed in the NCAA tournament. And UNLV just were never challenged in that game. They they beat Boise State outright. Colorado State. Uh, Colorado yeah, State. Co- uh, no, uh, uh, both. Well, they uh, lost yeah, no, State. Colorado State, you're right, yeah. And then um, and then we, like, we, we've seen them lose to Air Force. Like we've seen them beat Air Force by thirty, we've seen them get beaten by Air Force. There's so you don't really know. What I do know is if they do make a run in the Mountain West tournament, I know how they're going to do it, and it's going to be give the ball to Bryce Hamilton down the stretch. He's going to shoot the last five shots of the game, and then you're going to have to get stops on the defensive end. That's what Kevin Kruger said last night after the game. Like he's been very transparent from opening night about that's what the blueprint is going to be. He said, you know, Bryce Hamilton is going to take every big shot for us. We're going to give him the ball. We're going to let him go one on five if that's what it takes. He's going to shoot the ball. And then as a team, we're going to play defense and rebound on the other end and try to outscore you in the last four minutes that way. So I don't know if that can work three nights in a row because, as you saw last night, sometimes 
Those shots just are not falling for Bryce Hamilton. He did make one. He made the one shot with, you know, two and a half minutes left to put them ahead. But other other than that, he was having a, a very tough shooting night. So can he be player of the year caliber three games in a row against, you know, two or maybe even three NCAA tournament teams that they're going to face in the Mountain West tournament? Uh, that's a lot to ask of anyone. Um, what'd you eat in Fresno? Yeah, you know, cheeseburger. Oh, Fresh. Cheeseburger. It's, Look at you. Yeah. Just, just yeah. cheese? You didn't venture out and put anything else on the burger? No, I always make sure. I always make it very clear. <laughs> okay. Very clear with the order. Meat, meat, cheese, and bun. Wait, where where was it from? Concession stand, or did you actually go somewhere? No, it's from a, a local place. Like, I, uh, I actually ventured out. Um, in Fresno, there's a place right down the street from the stadium that's kind of a, a local spot that you know, uh, Kevin Bollinger from uh, Fox Five turned me on to a few years ago. So that's kind of, that's in my regular rotation now. So I don't feel so um, anxious about venturing out and going there. <laughs> that's in your regular rotation. I'm I'm just impressed. Something that wasn't like uh, Chili's made it into your regular rotation. I had to pass the Chili's to get there. <laughs> and it was it was tempting to just turn in and say, well, you know. I can, you know, this is walking distance, but no, I, I actually went out to an, an actual uh, restaurant and got a cheeseburger. So good for me. Give us your first take, your hot take on looking at the football schedule over under wins. Over under, I would say probably three and a half is where, oh. I, where I would put it. Okay. Um, I think we did. I think, four, that, I think we did four and a half yesterday. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. I mean, I think that the the issue for Marcus Arroyo is that they went from zero and then they got two last year. Um, but in, you know, the, the big one was that they got one, you know, to, to end that streak. And then <laughs> there's not really a number of consequence. I don't think between one and six right. for this program. Yeah, right, like right. if no, no one's going to care if you win, they'll care if you win zero, that will be a right. huge issue. But if you win, you know, one, two, three, four or five, business as usual. I don't think that's going to change. That's not going to move the needle one way or the other. So they're probably a four win team, but uh, it's an, it's, it's tough for Marcus Arroyo because he's got to win six. Uh, the fun part about the mountain West this year is there might legitimately be three teams worse than UNLV because Hawaii, well, Hawaii might not have a team. Um, New Mexico is still bad and Nevada lost everything. So everything. I don't even know if UNLV necessarily got better. But three teams in this conference are a lot worse, so they might they might stumble into some wins just on accident. And I'm intrigued by what they've done in the off season. You know, with their uh, recruiting class, they've gotten some some players at some positions where you they might be able to come in and make an impact. So I am intrigued to see how it comes together on the field. They lost more than a few close games last year. Um, Marcus Aurora getting his feet wet with you know game management that sort of thing. They you know rotating, searching for quarterbacks. If they can fix those, those are the two issues that really win and lose you games. So if you can fix those two, uh, I would be very interested to see if they can get to four or five and get on the on the cusp of uh, maybe making a run at a bowl game. All right. Uh, you can give us a one-word answer if you want. Will any transfer they brought in be more impactful than Jacoby Winman was last year? Man, that's a good question. I would say yes, okay. because they got a quarterback. If... Uh, if uh, uh, Harrison comes in and wins the quarterback job and starts 12 games, even if he's only, you know, okay to pretty good, that's more impactful than 
any other position on the field. All right. He's Mike right. Ramallah, live from Fresno. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Mike. Thank you, guys. Cheeseburger. It's all he ate. Proud of him, though. Kevin Bollinger. Look at look at Kevin helping out Mike. Showing Mike where to go Kevin's eat in Fresno guy. so that Mike isn't just resigned to eating at Chili's or his hotel. Getting the... we. We've had him on when he's told you about pizza, right? Oh, sure. That he'll go get a pizza yeah. and then just leave it in his hotel, and that'll be his lunch, dinner, and yes. breakfast Yeah, for his road trips. Yeah. So good for Kevin. Fox 5 helping out the world, making it a better place for Mike Grimala. Can you vote for a guy in a fifth-place team for player of the year? I think you should be able to. Yeah. Um, I think the problem is I wouldn't do it's, it. it's, it's he's got to be overwhelmingly better than the rest. Like, if it's close between him and Ike. David Roddy or Ike or whoever and Colorado State and Wyoming or 1-2 or something and UNLV's 5, if it's close, I don't think you give it to Hamilton. But if he's overwhelmingly better, then absolutely. If Here's the thing. If Bryce Hamilton, the last five games where he was, you know, six games, seven games, where he was, like, averaging, like, 31 30 points rent, per right. game and shooting, like, 45% from three, if he does that in the last five games of the year, then he's pro- he probably should be player of the year. Now, he was 6 of 20 last night. If he's got right. a couple more 6 of 20s in him, that's probably enough to sink him down. But if he d- the run he went on was unbelievable mm-hmm. and nobody else in the Mountain West has done that. The run that Bryce Hamilton nobody else has done that. It was incredible. If he finishes the year doing that, he should probably get it. But if there's they two won't more, give it to him. They won't. In fifth place. Because I I also think he'll have a couple more 6 of 20s. Right. I don't think he'll contend cuz doing that makes him not just best player in the Mountain West. That's like you're one of the top 30, 40 players in the country. Right. If you can average 30 a game shooting 45 shoot like from three. It's pretty impossible to do that, even though he did it. If he finishes out that way, you're right. They probably still don't give it to him. But that would be enough to get him in the conversation. I think he's going to have two more 6 of 20 games because, you know, it, it happens. And right? they're playing good teams. Right. And there's a bunch of good teams left. So it, it happens. You have bad games. So... That would be enough to say, oh, you're you're probably as good as David Roddy, but David Roddy's team won the league or finished right. second. So, yeah, we're giving it to David Roddy instead. All right, coming up next. Oh, get ready for some chicken races, Ed. You're sitting in the press box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Follow them on Twitter at Ed Graney and Bischoff underscore Tyler. Coming up later in the show, we're going to have tickets to go see Volbeat. We are also going to have tickets to a show at Allegiant Stadium, the stadium tour featuring Motley Crue, Def Leppard, Poison, Joan Jett, and the Blackhearts coming Friday, September 9th. We'll have a pair of tickets for you later on, so make sure you stay tuned for that. Um, Ed, how do you feel that the most popular segments on our show are about fake chicken racing? Um, where's the data on that thing? Uh, yesterday, <laughs> I, the data on that? I got a tweet uh, from Christian. And he said, just got Twitter so that I could keep up with your chickens. <laughs> I sent him a link to one of our races, and Hello, he responded Christian. after watching. Okay, I've listened to you go on about these chickens for a while now. And honestly, it's exponentially better than anything I ever imagined. So Christian Z singled out as the guy who says our best segment is the chicken races. I don't know what that says for the show. But I'm glad Christian's listening and he enjoys at least some part of it. Listen, Christian created a Twitter account. He d- he only followed me. He's only sent two tweets, both to me, about chickens. Somebody created a social media account solely because 
five minutes a day, I bring up the fake chickens that I race. I don't think you tweet a lot about your chickens. I don't tweet a lot about it, but I will, I will let Christian know. Christian will get to watch some of our races because he created a Twitter account just to watch, just to know about my chickens. Well, at least someone likes something about this show. Yes. <laughs> It is hands down the most popular part. Breaking news. Someone likes this show. And in six minutes, we have more races. Oh, really? Today's a big day. They are so in the past, every time they've done races, it'll be for like 30 minutes, right? They'll do races for a 30-minute time period just to see how everything goes. Today, starting at 8 o'clock, they are attempting to have races generate for eight straight hours. Ooh, it's a big day for that. So if if they can get through eight straight With hours, no glitches of races running, no, I mean I'm sure there will be some small issues, but no significant issues, right? We could be pretty close to this being full time every day. Like we're still, you know, when you bring your talents in. Well, that's them. They got to. That's separate. They got to get all that handled and put into the game. That's they're still creating the animations for all the talents and all that, but. This is like, we're still in the beta version, right? Like right. you have to be in the beta group to actually be able to race your chickens right now. Not everybody that owns a chicken has been able to race their chicken so far. So, but once, if, if today goes well, we're getting, we're getting close to this being full time. How many chickens will you race today? <laughs> How well do we do in the first 30 minutes? <laughs> is that the basis on that? <laughs> I mean, if we like lose a hundred dollars in the first 30 minutes, we might not race a lot more the rest of the day, but if we win some money, I mean, we're we made money two days ago when we raised yeah. a bunch of our chickens. Um, yeah, if we if we make twenty, forty, fifty, two hundred, three hundred dollars in the first hour, we'll probably keep racing them the rest of the day. I mean, they don't get the chickens don't get tired. The horses get tired now. By the, the horses. Way. Our uh, uh, slight update on our horses. High card. He qualified for the tournament. Oh, he did. Finished seventh in the quarterfinals. Didn't so he get, didn't get didn't through. Advance. He wasn't top what two or three. Had to be top three. Had what a disaster. A nightmare. Seventh. Oh, man. We've been in two tournament quarterfinals and finished seventh in both. <sighs> Not ideal. Not good. Oh, well. It was free. Didn't uh, cost us any money. Previously, you said that uh, they would tell you what time your chickens were running. If they're doing eight hours consecutive... How do you know when your chicken's going to be running? Or do you sign it up and they they do the race right then and there? Well, no. So you sign it up and then generally generally speaking, it's like one every or one every minute, roughly, right? So like you sign it up and then it'll, it goes in the queue. And you can go see in the queue how far away it is. I mean, usually if you sign up in the early races, they'll race within like two minutes. If it's the 30th race of the day, it's going to be 30 minutes later. And by the way... Just so you know, Sploosh, do you remember Sploosh? He just tweeted at me, WTF, remember your first chicken convertee. There are two people that have created social media accounts specifically for chickens. God, pathetic. Sploosh actually owns chickens. Pops Ramirez, Christian's a measuring stick. I watched a race last night, chicken race. I didn't get to see one take a hatchet to another's, but it was a bit thrilling. There will be hatchets in the future. Machetes, not hatchets. They will be coming in the future. Right now, you were just racing. Just run fast and get to the finish line first.